You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, tonight we're continuing to take a look at what the five points of Calvinism is. And we started two weeks ago with the total depravity, the T of the acronym TULIP. Last week we took a look at the U in the acronym TULIP, which was unconditional election. And tonight we move to the limited atonement part of it. So of the five doctrines summarized by the acronym TULIP, the most difficult, and I repeat this, the most difficult for most people to understand and accept is limited atonement. Now the question which arises with the doctrine of limited atonement is this. Did Christ offer up himself a sacrifice for the whole human race. Did the Lord Jesus Christ offer up himself a sacrifice for the whole human race? Now, before I go any further, does anybody have any thoughts on that they'd like to share? Or anybody have an answer they may want to give? Did Christ, did he, Offer up himself a sacrifice for the whole human race. Melody says no. Anybody else before we continue? Anybody else got the courageous? You sure? Diane, you say no. Okay. He only came to save the elect. Are you sure of that? Okay. Anybody else? Nate? Mel- uh, uh, Marilyn? It doesn't sound right? Doesn't sound right that he only came to save the elect? Or the question that I'm raising, did he, did his sacrifice, was it for the whole human race? Only those who believe, okay. <clears throat> Well, the Arminian says yes. Yes, that Christ offered up himself a sacrifice for the whole human race. The Arminian says the atonement is universal. Thus, the Arminian believes in what we would call universal atonement. In other words, Christ's atonement, Christ's sacrifice is for every individual without distinction or exception. Or did Christ's atonement, did Christ's sacrifice have a special reference to the elect? Diane says yes. Melanie said that no too, he did not sacrifice himself for the whole human race. If that's the case, who is it for? 
Let me put it another way. Was the sacrifice of Christ merely intended to make the salvation of men possible? Or was it intended to render certain the salvation of those who had been given to him by the Father? Diane is shaking your head, her head. Diane, yes? Arminians hold that Christ died for all men alike. Calvinists hold that in the secret plan of God, Christ died for the elect only. That Christ died for those in whom the Father gave him, the elect. Now instead of this term, limited atonement, maybe a much better term to use might be a definite atonement or a particular atonement. See, people get upset with the limited atonement title. Now again, we're trying to keep it within the framework of the acronym TULIP. T for total depravity, U for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, I for irresistible grace, and P for perseverance of the saints. Now, I must say I prefer the term definite or particular atonement. But nonetheless, Christ's atonement is, of course, strictly an infinite transaction, infinite in its ability to atone for all sin. But the limitations come in the application of the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. In other words, who did Christ's sacrifice truly benefit? Now, friends, the atonement was limited only in the sense that it was intended for and is applied to particular persons. That's why we might call it particular atonement. Now, namely, to those who are actually saved. Now, allow me to say this another way. The value of the atonement was sufficient to save all mankind. Christ's atonement was sufficient to save all mankind. But it was efficacious or efficient to save only the elect. Only the elect. Diana is right. Nate was right. <clears throat> Loved ones, Christ is said to have been a ransom for his people. You know the verse, Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, notice this. This is critical. This verse does not say that Christ gave his life for all, but it says for many. 
If the suffering and death of Christ was a ransom for all men rather than for the elect only, then the merits of Christ's work must be communicated to all alike. Furthermore, the penalty of eternal punishment cannot be justly applied or afflicted on any. If the suffering and death of Christ was a ransom for all men, then hell would not exist. One of the greatest, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the greatest arguments for a definite atonement or a particular atonement is the doctrine of hell. If Christ was not dying and atoning for the elect only, if that's not the case, we don't need to have hell. Everybody would be saved. It's a true statement what you said. But he did not die for all. Stay with me. I'm going to keep walking us through it and I'm going to prove it with scripture. I just gave you one. He was the ransom for many, not all. Yes. It was only efficacious and efficient for the elect. The believer. Marilyn, this is the hardest thing for believers to embrace. In a minute, I'm going to keep walking you through it, and you're going to see where I'm going to go. But it is the very hardest thing. Here is where more people stumble and have a hard time. Limited atonement. So I said to you, That if the suffering and death of Christ was a ransom for all men rather than the elect only, then the merits of Christ's work must be communicated to all alike. Then I said to you, the penalty of eternal punishment cannot be justly applied or inflicted on any. If the suffering and death of Christ was a ransom for all men, then hell would not exist. Wouldn't need it. <clears throat> because nobody would be going there. No, they wouldn't. I missed that one. That's... The whole recording is what? I couldn't hear it, so sorry. Bear, can you bear with me? Let me see if I could flush this out further for you. If the suffering and death of Christ was a ransom for all men, then we must say that God was either unable or unwilling to carry out his plans. 
Think this through. Let me say it again. If the suffering and death of Christ was a ransom for all men, then we must say that God was either unable or unwilling to carry out his plans. Why is that? Why would I say that? Because look at all the people that go to hell. If the ransom was for all, as the Arminian says it is, then God wasn't able to carry out his plans in redeeming all men. Or God made a mistake because if the Armenian is true and correct, which they say they are, that Christ died for all, then we got a major problem with what God couldn't accomplish. He couldn't save those men. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the Christ's atonement was for the elect only. That's why we call it limited atonement. It's limited to the elect. It isn't limited to the non-believer. Praise God. Do you remember when we first started, and this is going back now a long time. Opening night, I said, there are things of the Father that we, in our finite minds, cannot comprehend. And I said, our ability to reason has been tainted by sin. And so there's things of God that we just can't wrap our pea brains around. And I'm okay with that. I'd leave it with God. This might be one for you. <laughs> I don't know. You might follow with me the rest of the night and go, hey, I see it. I'm going to keep trying to flesh it out. So here's what I said. If the suffering and the death of Christ was a ransom for all men, then we must say that God was either unable or unwilling to carry out his plans. That's blasphemy. We can't say that. That would be blasphemy. Since the work of God is always efficacious and efficient and successful, then those for whom the atonement was made and those who are actually saved must be the same people. Yes, God's elect. However, not so fast, one may argue. What about all the passages that appear to teach that God's redemption is for the whole world? Here's that question that everybody has been wanting to hear the answer to. Marilyn, you've been one. What about all those passages that appear to teach that God's redemption is for the whole world? Well, to bolster their position, the Arminians appeal to such passages as the following. I'm going to walk you through them right now. Would you please turn to John chapter 4, verse 42? <coughs> Excuse me.
John chapter 4, verse 42. Here is one of the verses that the Arminians bolster their position with. Then we will talk about them. John chapter 4, verse 32. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. There's one of the first ones they use. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, please. Everybody there? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. There it is, they say. Christ died for all. In John 4, 42, he died for the world, and in this one he said he died for all. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse... Six. I'm going to actually pick it up in verse three. Everybody there? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, <clears throat> excuse me, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Their argument would be, once again, that Scripture is teaching that Christ died for all. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Very familiar verse. This is one of their strongest verses to bolster their position. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Everybody there? 2 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. This is their classic verse. In 1 John 
Chapter 2, verse 2, we find this recorded. And Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now friends, these are some of the main verses that Arminians use to bolster their position that Christ died for all. This is what they use to bolster their position for a universal atonement. Now an objection to limit atonement is made on the fact that the Bible explicitly says in several passages that Christ is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. If he died for all, it is reason that he did not die for a limited number. Well, that makes sense. Of course that would be the case. The answer to this objection is that often the Bible uses the word world and all in a restricted, limited sense. Let me repeat that. The Bible often uses the word world and the word all. We saw that in the examples I gave you in a restricted, limited sense. Not an unlimited sense, but a limited sense. You see, the words and phrases must always be interpreted in their context, in the light of the rest of Scripture. Everybody agrees to that in this, in this sanctuary tonight. You, you, we hear that all the time coming from Pastor Jim, from Cornell, from Jess. We got to take the text and, or the verse, and keep it in its context. We all agree to that. Okay, so for example, Luke records that Caesar commanded that all the world should be registered and that all went to be registered. That's in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Notice the words. The, all the world and all went to be registered. Now it is clear that not all had to do that. And not all is all. Here's why. It's very clear that all is not all. For the Greeks, the Italians, the Germans, etc., 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 did not all go and register. But scripture used the word world and all in those verses. When Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, when I am lifted up from the heaven, or excuse me, from earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now here again, it's plain that all is not all. How do I make that statement? Because Jesus didn't bring, draw all people to himself. We know that for a fact. So all must not mean all as our minds want to believe it to believe or believe it to mean. There are millions of people, beloved, who have not come to Christ. Jesus may have meant one of two things. All the elect would be drawn to him or Gentiles as well as Jews would be drawn to him. 
But he was not talking by one iota. All, meaning everyone universal, would be drawn to him. But one thing is clear. You can't deny this. All men have not been drawn to Christ. Arminians cannot get around that, but they still hold their ground that his atonement was universal. It was for all. And yet you back them in a corner on these issues I just presented to you. That is because, beloved, all is not all. I believe all is a reference to the elect. In each case, wherever we're seeing this all presented in the verses I'm, I'm walking you through, all is the elect. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where we read that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world, means that Christ that Christ died not only for the sins of the Jews, but also for every ethnic group in the world. Greeks, Italians, Germans, Spaniards, correct, etc., etc. But it does not mean for every single Jew, every single Greek, every single Italian, and every single German, but the elect out of those ethnic groups. Does that make sense? Make sense? Nate? Jeff? Marilyn? I'll keep trying. I need the Holy Spirit to move in right now on you because I can't do it. You, you need to. You need to take it in its context. No, it's not. No. What does it make a difference in, though? Because it does make it a difference for you right here, right now on this earth. Where does, what is the difference? Where am I going by asking that? It makes a difference. Not for your salvation. It makes a difference in how you view God, your relationship with Him, Christ, the Holy Spirit. It should send you to your knees in awe of God because of what He did for you as His special people, the elect. Not everybody's God's elect. Because you've got to realize not all are elect. Well, I, I, I understand that part. I understand that God foreknew way back when. Well, let's change it. He foreordained. I like that better. He what? Foreordained. Oh, well, okay. Okay. He foreordained and predetermined. Okay. 
I don't know. Jeff, can you say any more than what I'm saying to maybe help her clear it? Well, I don't mean to. I just Jeff is is very theologically sound. Distinction, without distinction. <clears throat> I can't say it enough. Context, context, context. Marilyn, what's the most important thing about a piece of property? Location, location, location. What's the most important thing about understanding and interpreting Scripture? Context, context, context. Now I'm going to use First Peter. I'm, I'm going to hit on the, their most powerful passages and show you how they're pulling it out of context. Nate. Right. Well, well said. Good point. Yeah, good point. Did you catch that? That's good. Mine is Jeff. Correct. Um, 
Can I attempt Maryland? So if you, if you violate one doctrinal issue, if you're you using half a dozen more, more. Right. To be leads to her heresy. <clears throat> I think if you meditate on just what you said, if, if God has died for all, only a few are saved, then what are we saying about God? Well, we're calling into question his ability. And I said to you, that's blasphemy. You better never do that. You're not. You're not, but you're implying it. It's an, you're not, an Armenian is. It becomes an implication on God. You're implying that what God did wasn't good. He couldn't carry out his own plan, is what you're saying. I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it any different. Melody. Calminian. Calminian. Uh, but she held to that Christ died for the sins of all. And then I asked, well, why are there people in hell? And she says, well, his atonement didn't cover the sin of unbelief. And so that's why they're in hell. Okay, so let's play off that real quick. If that's the case... <clears throat> if Christ died for all and yet there are people who go to hell it's because the atonement Christ's atonement was insufficient that means that Christ's atonement was limited here's what all Arminians at some point have to limit the atonement to exactly what her friend just said. If God died and his atonement was for all, but not all come to faith and some don't come, they go to hell, then that means his atonement was limited. I guess I don't look at it that way. Maybe that's the way it is. But I'm not. Jeff. Oh, the death of deaths. Oh, get it. They, got, they, they back themselves, just what Jeff said, in a corner in a conundrum every time. It's kind of like a dog chasing its tail. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Yeah. yeah. So let me say this now. Let, let, let me try to move through this. One more reason for the use of these expressions, the world, all, 
for the authors of the New Testament was to correct the false notion that salvation was for the Jews alone. Such phrases as the world, all men, all nations, and every creature were used by the New Testament writers to emphatically correct this mistake. But how are we to understand 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I am going to go right to the heart of Arminianism with this verse right now. This is their ace in the hole, so they think. Okay, friends, the restrictive phrase in this passage is the phrase towards us. Okay? Is everybody in? Can everybody turn to 2 Peter, please? 2 Peter 3.9. I want everybody to turn there, please. The key to understanding the context of this verse is this. There is a restrictive phrase in this passage, and it's the phrase towards us. Towards us. Uh, Before I tell you, what do you believe towards us means? Who is the writer of this, Peter, referring to? Yeah. Believers. The regenerated. The born again. I'm going to use the term, the elect. Towards us refers to God's elect. We know this because first and second Peter are written by a believer to believers. And so Peter, writing to fellow believers, is telling them that God is not willing that any believer should perish, but that all believers should come to repentance. Beloved, what Peter is saying is that God is not willing that any of his elect should perish. That's what Peter's talking about here. 2 Peter 3.9 is not teaching universal atonement. It is not teaching that. This text is teaching that God sovereignly decrees that none of his elect shall perish. That all of his elect shall come. To repentance. Loved ones, the atonement's ultimate purpose is found in the ultimate purpose and will of God. And this purpose does not include the entire human race. If it did, the entire human race would surely be redeemed. Friends, Christ himself limited the purpose of his death to the elect. Now let me flesh that out. Please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 10.
John chapter 10, verse 11, and then 14 through 16. John chapter 10, verse 11. This is the Good Shepherd discourse. Everybody there? In John chapter 10, verse 11, our blessed Lord said, I am the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Key phrase. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, notice what he said. If Christ laid down his life for the sheep, then the atoning character of his work was not universal. It can't be. Because not everyone is his sheep. Now let's stay in John chapter 10. I want to show you what he said in verses 25 through 26. And by the way, when Jim was preaching through the gospel of John, unfortunately, Lori and I were gone those five years where I was pastoring the Evangelical Free Church. But Jim walked all of the saints at Kootenai through these verses and these passages And he taught the exact same thing. You can go back and look in the, I believe, the church archives. And I think you could find Jim's message on these passages. If not, I'm willing to tell you, willing to bet, Jim would burn you a copy. Okay, in John chapter 10, verse 25, we see Jesus saying this. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you. Did everybody catch that? Jesus is looking and telling these people, you do not believe because you're not one of my elect. If you're not one of the elect, then that means his atonement was not universal. It was limited. It was a particular atonement. It was a special atonement. A definite atonement. Who for? Christ's sheep. Will anyone maintain that Christ laid down his life for the Pharisees, seeing that he pointedly excluded them? (laughs) That's who he was talking to. 
He was talking to the Pharisees. And he told them that his life he didn't lay down for the Pharisees, seeing that he pointedly excluded them. You're not my sheep. He couldn't have been any more clearer. Friends, Christ not only dies for his sheep, but he also prays for them. Now I'm going to take you to the next passage here that makes people tremble. It's his high priestly prayer. And he removes any consideration in his high priestly prayer for universalism. Turn to John 17, please. In John chapter 17, we want to look at verses 6 through 12. And as you're turning there, I said to you in his high priestly prayer, which is what we're looking at, Jesus removes any consideration for universalism. Now let's look at this. Verse 6. Our Lord says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Stop there. He didn't say every man out of the world. He made it very clear and specific the men whom the Father gave him. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and I have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now listen to what he says next. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Beloved, Jesus is praying not for the whole world, the entire world. He's not praying for a universal group of people, meaning everyone. He's praying specifically to the Father for the elect, his sheep, the ones whom the Father gave him. Particular, well, I was going to say limited intercession, but, but Jeff's right on the money. Marilyn, he was praying a definite intercession. He was praying a particular intercession. He was praying a limited intercession. Who for? 
the limited elect. I said to you that this is a truth that men want to reject. You can reject it. You're rejecting the clear and concise teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus intercedes here on behalf of those whom the Father has given him. It is abundantly clear that this does not include all mankind. Verse 9. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. You see, the Father gave to Christ a limited, a particular number of people. The elect. They are the ones for whom Christ prays. They are also the ones for whom Christ died. Therefore, they are the ones for whom the atonement is limited to. Now we have the same teaching elsewhere in the New Testament where it is stated that Christ died for his church. Turn to the right to the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, please. I said to you that we have the same teaching elsewhere in the New Testament where it is stated that Christ died for his church. Okay? Verse 28 of chapter 20. This is Paul's farewell letter to the Ephesian elders. In verse 28, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, the church of God. Friends, not the Mormon church, not the Catholic church, not the Jehovah Witnesses, not the Muslims, not the Buddhists. God's church. Who's God's church? Who's Christ's church? Who? The elect. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. This passage is so familiar to all of us, but I don't think we realize how this passage is making it very clear who Christ died for. It's talking about a particular, limited, definite, Atonement. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, we're going to see who Christ died for. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved who? The church. What does it say next? And gave himself for her. is a limited atonement. He gave himself for her, not the whole world, not all of mankind. Paul's talking about the church. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify the church and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, the church, 
to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. (laughs) He's not talking about all of mankind. It's a limited church. It's a definite church. It's a particular church. Because it's a limited, particular, definite atonement. Right. I want a universal love. Yeah, you, your wife would be killing you. Yeah. I think she might pull a gun on you. You know, I, I, I like that. It's a great one, Jeff. I mean, it's, he's right. When I thought about, you know, she'd pull a gun and shoot you. <clears throat> They were interviewing Ruth Graham many years ago. The interviewer says, "Uh, Mrs. Graham, was there ever a time when you wanted to divorce Billy? She thought for a moment like this. Says, no, there was never a time I wanted to divorce him, but there was many many times I wanted to murder him. (laughs) Oh, Jeff, that, your comment made me think of that. That's how that got brought up. Friends, Paul is talking about limited atonement here. You can't escape it. Christ gave himself, he says, for the church. He's limiting it. Christ's atonement was not for an indiscriminate love, Jeff, of which all men were equally the objects. Did everybody catch that? I said that Christ's atonement was not for an indiscriminate love of which all men were equally the objects. In other words, he was discriminant in who he was atoning for. Not indiscriminate, meaning everybody. It was a particular. It was definite. It was limited. But a particular infinite love for his elect is what Paul was talking about. Christ died not for an unorderly mass of humanity, but for his people, his bride, his church, his elect. Thereby limiting the atonement. Now I'd like to show you further evidence of limiting or particular atonement. It's 8 o'clock. Do you mind if I walk you through? And then, and then I'll, when we're done, I'll, I'll ask this question. Do you want to go six more pages and get to irresistible grace or wait till next week and then we have one more week after that? Let's wait. Okay. Everybody okay on that? And that means two more weeks. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Jeff, you okay on that? Two more weeks. Nate, are you? Okay. Now, I want to flesh this out with a couple more verses. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Unlikely place, and I want you to see this. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Wait till you see this one. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Everybody there? And Mary will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His people, his sheep, his church, his elect. Can't escape it. Well, we just looked at John 11, or 10, 11. We looked at Acts 20, 28. Let's run over to Romans chapter 8. And I kind of think it's ironic. We're back in Romans chapter 8 again. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 through 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Everybody there? God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Notice it says, who delivered us for us all. Now somebody could say, well, there it is. Universal atonement, Uh uh-uh. Context. It's talking about the elect. How do I know that? Well, let's look. Who shall, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's the us. You guys see that? See, the Armenian's going to say, well, there it is right there for all of us. It's the elect. Let, let me tell you what, el- what else we're taught. Never take an obscure verse and build a doctrine around it. Never. It's done every day. The Arminians are great at it. Never take a verse, an obscure verse, excuse me, that's the key, obscure verse, and build a doctrine around it. Eight. It is. And they do that, in my opinion, this is my opinion, they do it out of emotion. Yeah. 
men who I call pulpiteers who aren't Bible expositors. Let me give you one more example of what people do. It doesn't feel right. Or, wait a minute, it, it does feel right. Can I tell you that feelings are notoriously wrong? Let me give you a prime example. Do you know how many men are in prison because they felt the need to kill somebody? About feeling? Doesn't feel right. Well said, Nate. Yeah. You all understand that the majority in Christendom, I'm going to say Western Hemisphere because I'm going to include Canada in that because I've been and filled the pulpit in Canada. And these people were wonderful farmers of salt and light of the earth, but they were Arminian in their bent. It's a real problem in Western Hemisphere. The Arminian theology, people don't know what it is and don't call it that, but they have the Arminian bent theologically and don't even know that that's what it is. And it's been around forever. It used to be called Pelagianism. Well, recently, most recently, it's been Jacob Arminius. Right. Can't answer it. And here's why I can't answer it. All the men and women that I've met over the years that are Arminian, if you sit down with them and discuss Scripture, Scripture alone, and ask them what they do with these passages. They can never give me an answer. What they can give me is their historic verses that I gave you tonight. They can give me those. But every time they do, you ask them, what does that mean? They'll tell you, well, it means that Christ died for all of mankind. That's all, that's all they can conclude. You walk them through the context, and they, no, they won't accept it. So, so I, I can't say any more to that. Most of the time. It is. I know. I agree. Jeff, any good thoughts? Amen.
Right. Tradition is very powerful. Yeah. Very yeah. Powerful. Very powerful. It can be, it can be on, a, on a scale really bad up to good traditions. Right. But no matter what it is, it's very powerful. Yeah. Sometimes traditions can become, can become biblical. One more. Turn over Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, please. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the new covenant. For this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called, the called, may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He did not say all. He was specific. The called. The called. Marilyn, I want you to, I want to turn and show you something real quick. Can you go back to Romans chapter 11. I think it's Romans. <clears throat> yeah. Turn over to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul was ending his argument for the sovereignty of God. As you recall, it was Romans 9, 10, and 11, three chapters that Paul penned to argue the sovereignty of God in the election of God's people. 
And he said this at the end because he also understood, Marilyn, how hard it is for us to grab hold of this. It's hard. Paul said this, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom the glory be forever. Amen. Now one more. Turn over to Isaiah. I want to say 55. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8, 9, and yeah, 8 and 9. And while you're turning there, Marilyn, here's where I began our study in Isaiah chapter 55. Because I said in the beginning, we are going to plumb the depths of the mind of God in trying to understand the doctrines of grace. And I said, we're going into an area that we need to be careful and cautious. And only, only hold on to what the scripture teaches us. One of the things I said that very first night was, I want you to understand Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. So I'm just jumping in to throw that out tonight again. I'm going to end our study with this again because it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around this. Isaiah said in 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is infinite. Infinite. And we're finite. And one more problem that we have, not only are we finite, but I I keep saying over and over, our ability to reason and understand has been tainted by sin. Sin has affected the human to the degree that we say he's totally depraved. Here's an example of it. That sin has corrupted his whole being, including his ability to reason and understand at times. This might be one of those for you For somebody else, it may be something else. But this one is hard. Scripture teaches it. Therefore, we embrace it. I've been a Christian a good many years. I've been in a lot of good churches. And I have never heard it brought up like this. Um, I've heard them talk of Calvinism or mentioning it, but I didn't know what what the difference was. So in all those years, 
How come I haven't? Well, let me say this. Do you have a DVD player at home? Do you have the ability to play a CD? I'm in a CD. I'm going to bring you a CD. It's Pastor Jim preaching in John chapter 10. So you, you heard it when he did it. Yeah, I heard it when he did it. But, but you probably weren't catching on. He was teaching the same exact thing. It wasn't. Hmm? Yeah, I'll bring it. I had Jim burn it for me to give to Craig. I asked him to stay through this. This is where I wanted to take him when we got to that point. Enlighten you. No qualms. Well, let me see if I can make you uncomfortable next week. <laughs> Marilyn, you, you keep reading and keep reading, keep reading. You're welcome to go online and get my manuscript. If you can't print it off, you let me know and I will print you off and give you my manuscript. And you can read it over and over and keep reading that scripture with it. The key is the scriptures. I'll always point you back to God's word. What does God's word say? What I think means a hill of beans. What does God's word say? Test all opinions and utterances on the altar of biblical fidelity. Praise God, we're all in a great church where the men in this church teach the unadulterated word of God. They let God's word be the authority and the final authority. The only and final. So. Okay, next week, irresistible grace. That's the next one that Arminians really struggle with. They have a hard time with irresistible grace. The Arminian says that the Man can resist God's call. That they can resist God drawing him. Calvinism says that God's grace is irresistible. I agree with it. So we'll look at that next week. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so very much for this wonderful evening. Your word is powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut I heard John MacArthur one time say that the word of God is, is just like a surgeon's scalpel. It has to cut before it heals.
I like that. Your word is exactly what the psalmist said it is. It is a light into our path. And Father, he also said that those who desire it, desire something that's worth more than gold, more than silver. I uh, ask tonight that you would please guide us, help uh, Marilyn as she works her way through these incredible doctrines of grace, help her through the understanding, give her illumination, illuminate her mind to understanding, and uh, to all of us, remind all of us, even if we're not struggling with it, remind us of these truths. Help us to apply them so that our worship of you would exalt you and glorify you and bring adoration to you over and above what we have ever done before. Help us love the Lord Jesus Christ, your Holy Spirit, the triune God, for what you've done on our behalf when we look back at uh, our salvation, how it all began and how it will all end. Father, we are eternally grateful. We love you and bless you. And we pray these things in the name of your precious and most dearest Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, Thank you for listening.